Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive, our weekly podcast where we share our stories of starting and running our float centers while providing insights and tips along the way. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Art of the Float, and join the conversation by leaving a speak pipe. That's the gold bar on the left side of the screen when you go to artofthefloat.com. You can also go there to find show notes, links, pictures from, from every episode, all that good stuff. Uh, you can also find out about us consulting, our Amazon click-through links if you want to help support the show. I'm Dylan Calm. I own The Float Shop in Portland, Oregon with my wife, Sandra. I'm joined tonight with Amy of Float Nashville, and Lance sadly is not able to make it tonight due to technical issues, so we're, we're sad about that, but um, we are excited about our guest tonight, Tom Fine, which I think uh, most people will recognize that name, and if not, we will definitely introduce him and uh, the, well, gosh, the, the history of floating and his his place in it. It's really exciting. And and the future of floating too and, and float research. So I'm really excited to have Tom on later on the show here. I do also just want to mention a few other things. One is our marketing planning roundtable on May 17th. Artofthefloat.com forward slash roundtable is where you want to go to check this out. Basically, uh, instead of always last minute planning, doing a sale or trying to get an ad out, uh, how to competently <laughs> create a plan <laughs> A plan of, of marketing so that it actually rolls out properly, goes to all the correct places, actually inspires people to come on into your place and, and builds rapport with your customers as opposed to constantly scrambling is, is the idea that we're after for this roundtable. So um, I'm excited about this one. I'm ready to up the float shop game. I'll let you all know how that goes by the time 2018 comes around, what our numbers were. And if, um, if you guys want to join me on that, May 17th is, is where, when we're going to get in our marketing gear here. Also, I want to give a shout out to Float Away, of course. Uh, speaking of float research, uh, Justin Feinstein of the Laurie Institute for Brain Research float, chose the float around for his research in 2013, which is absolutely insane to me to think that it's been that long. I actually, uh, just to toot my own horn here just a little bit, uh, we had uh, Justin float at the float shop and he was talking about, uh, he was talking about float tanks and, and what exactly he wanted to build and all these grand complex systems that he was gonna be building uh, designed into his uh, float lab, float research lab. And uh, he said, do you, do you know anybody who might have to, you know, might be able to piece this together or, or a team of people? And I said, yeah, um, he's in my house right next door. <laughs> Let me go grab him. And I introduced him to Colin and uh, that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. So that's uh, pretty pretty fun. And uh, of course, everything, every business is based around relationships as well. And uh, uh, Float Away is a great company to have a relationship with. Uh, www.floataway.com is where you want to go to check them out. <sighs> No Lance tonight. Again, still a little brokenhearted about that. I'm excited to see him. <laughs> but uh, Amy, it's so good to see you. I feel like it's been too long. Um, I know. Probably just been a week. But it's only been a week, but yeah, it feels like forever. So maybe a little update first. Uh, I'd love to hear about your float week, but how, you know, last time we spoke, there was a tornado that I just know. hit your home. Yeah. So literally, uh, the last time we were together, um, like you said, a tornado had just hit my home. Literally. Um I was coming home. I was uh, very almost late to the podcast. I couldn't get to my house. Trees were down. My husband called me and said, oh, by the way, a tree fell. It's like it might hit our roof and maybe a car, too. Um, 
but uh, we we took care of things. Uh, the great thing is that night, uh, mm-hmm. as I got off the podcast, all my electricity and internet went out. So, fortunately, I was I was meant to be here. I believe that. Uh, but literally, the moment we signed off, everything went out, and that's because our electrical service was out there already fixing the live wire that was in front of my home. Oh, and wow. yeah, there's a live wire uh, that was uh, thrashing about. Wait and a minute. Wait, wait, wait. It was actually thrashing about <laughs> no, like no, in the old wasn't. ads? Okay, uh, no, okay. no, no, no. It, was, <laughs> um, uh, it did when it hit, uh, but uh, yeah, it was just lying there. We had uh, police and and uh, NES, uh, National Electrical Service out there fixing that mm-hmm. up. So that was the scariest part. And it was, it was tough being without electricity, but really, if that's the worst that happened, yeah. that's great. Our neighbors did not get so lucky. Some of them did not have electricity. Um, some of them had windows blown. Some of them had uh, a lot more damage than we did. So it was a bit of a shock coming home, but uh, Bob, my husband, worked very diligently to get out, got out there with his chainsaw and was sawing down trees in very precarious situations. And (laughs) (laughs) fortunately, everyone was safe. Uh, We didn't have any uh, fatalities or any injuries during this one. So there's always things to be thankful for. There. And and uh, police officer and knows how to work a chainsaw. Yeah, wow. seriously, y'all, you catch y'all. There, Amy. <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you, I was a little worried because, um, yeah, he's not the he's not the handy guy. <laughs> he's really not. And this is the first time he's ever used a chainsaw. Oh my uh, he borrowed okay. one from a friend, so I was a little concerned. <laughs> but everyone has lived to tell the tale, and he actually did a great job. He's really proud of himself. I'm proud of him too. So. Still has uh, ten fingers, ten toes. Every, everybody, nice. all the fingers and toes are are still there, and yeah, I'm I'm thrilled. Uh, so now he has a new skill. So the next time I need something sawed down, he has <laughs> no excuse. Just so you know, you didn't have to tell the entire float community that your husband's not the handyman. Just so you well, know, he, he knows. He knows. Required. It's okay. not. Yeah, it's not. It's not a, a secret. Trust Fair me. enough. <laughs> um, and may I ask, I, um, the car, it sounded like, the, the night of, yeah. it sounded like your car might have been damaged. Did it get damaged? So we have a we have a car that uh, we keep around in case Mark's car dies, <laughs> my business partner. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it did get hit by some trees, but no horrible damage. Oh, wow. um, okay, great. We actually, what, what was worse, my hot tub cover flew off and uh, uh, hit... That was, but, but it's okay. We're all Wait, good. Your hot tub cover hit what? It flew off and hit the, hit the car. <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> it was a big old mess. Right. But really, nothing, nothing horrible happened. The car is Great. is is working, and you know, nothing. A little bit of paint can't fix. So. <laughs> nice. We're good. We're gonna be happy about it. <laughs> <sighs> Let's see here. Well, tell me about uh, tell me about yes. your floaty week. So I think the last time I spoke to you, we were talking a little bit how we take time out every year especially so usually always in april uh with the exception of one year where we shut down we do a lot of our heavy maintenance and and in the past it has there's always a disaster it always costs me tens of thousands of dollars uh so i was a little little nervous approaching this one Mm. uh we were all we were doing was rebuilding our open tank and so i thought okay it can't be bad right well i find out the day before we start we're awful low on salt, and we are supposed to uh, drain the tank and refill it. Uh. So I said, Mark, friend, who's watching the salt reserves? Um, so we were, at the, I mean, we only had enough salt to fill this tank. That's all we had. It was, <laughs> that was it. So I'm like, okay, nothing better go wrong. Right. And totally. now remember, we took three days off, but Mark was insisting it would only take two. 
Um, and that I shouldn't have closed the third day. I, but I know better, right? And if there's sure enough, one thing we've learned this show, <laughs> that's right. everything will take longer. Every everything. repair, every build out, everything takes longer. And I was even worried about only tacking on one day. Um, mm-hmm. But we did. Mm-hmm. We, we put the three days and Mark's like, we'll be done the second day. The third day is going to be cleaning. Well, yeah, third day comes. Tank is still torn apart. It is closely <laughs> getting it's close to, you know, midnight. We're still <laughs> there trying to get this tank full. But we're noticing that water is is leaking badly oh. from somewhere. Um, I had to go home and deal with some things. It took four days, and we filled the tank up twice. Oh we had gosh. to get salt, so we had to call and get a delivery of salt, like ASAP. Wow. Um, fortunately, after uh, two all-nighters and five days, it finally, <laughs> finally stopped. We finally figured it out. Pretty standard. Uh, pretty pretty standard. standard, yeah. So I'm saying this not because... <laughs> It's, it's because I should have expected this. I don't know why. I, I always have hold that hope that maybe I know, right? it's going to go smoothly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, we actually lost probably about two tanks full of salt and water by the time we were through. <laughs> so where where was the leak? It, it was in the liner. Was the liner. Oh, no. It was it a was liner, but the way that Mark recreated the tank, it was behind the um, uh, the uh, the one of the uh, pipes. And so we didn't realize that it was back there. Uh, we actually had to remove things to realize that there was a yeah. tear. So, you know, he's looking like in the floor because he thought it was coming through in the floor. Because oh, when man. he came in in the morning, all we have. So it is a homemade tank. And but it doesn't. It's beautiful. You it would really never is. know. Um, and he noticed that we have insulation underneath it. The insulation was floating underneath the liner. <laughs> so he thought that it was in the bottom of the a liner we he looked and looked and looked couldn't find it did a few things thought maybe he fixed it filled it up again it was a disaster but it was you know but it didn't cost it only cost me maybe you know twelve hundred dollars extra so <laughs> i put the money aside exactly exactly because i had put aside money because i know this goes so i felt like i got off pretty pretty good in this whole deal it was good and well, we're all I... we're all exhausted but it's good I got to see a picture of Mark praying in, in a float tank, so that made it all worth <laughs> it, it to was, me. It was, yeah, he, he swears that the water heats up faster when he's in it, and he can actually <laughs> like sit there and, and uh, dissolve, like uh, take the salt between his hands. Perfect. So he always likes to get in it, and <laughs> he looked, he did look like he was praying. I was like, oh, I thought he probably needs some of that. He, he, prob- he, was. he probably was. I mean, I'm sure he was. Because I, it was so bad, and I was so upset, and, you know, everything was going to hell in a handbasket. It was, oh I'm goodness. sure he was praying. Um, I would uh, love to post that on the website, yeah. if that's all right with Mark. Absolutely. Actually, if it's okay with you, we don't need Mark's. Yeah, we don't need Mark. What a classic float story. That is great. <laughs> and especially the, this is how much time we're giving ourselves yep. to open. Yep. And, and yeah. even like, okay, giving ourselves a little extra room. Uh, because you know something could go wrong and blowing right past that. It's just <laughs> every classic. year. When are we gonna learn, Dylan? When are we gonna learn? And the funny thing is, is, is I'm not saying this for pity because I know that this story is this, is everybody's story. Right. It's everybody's right. story. We all do this thing. I thought flow centers uh, were turnkey. I thought yeah. you just no. It's it's are, amazing. Are it's, it's not just plug and play. Okay. <laughs> shocking, right? Uh, That's how my business works. I I don't don't know why this always happens to you, Amy. (laughs) I know. Seriously. What's wrong with me? Yeah, exactly. I I will tell you that after that disastrous (laughs) week, it ended on the best note ever. Oh. Best note. So I've got to share this because. um, So when we first opened and 
I, I don't know. They don't they don't know I'm telling I'm not sure they won't mind. When we first opened, Mark and I were at the float center all the time, 24-7. Mm-hmm. And we had this lovely couple come and uh, talk to us, do a late night float, and then sit and we talked. And uh, they really, you know, a lot of people left an impression on me back then because we did take the time to talk to everybody because Mark and I were the only ones there and mm-hmm. it was our life and we were excited. It was young. Sweet time. Yeah. It really is a sweet time. Mm-hmm. And I remember this, this couple very, very well, in particular... Um, this young lady, I guess I can call a young lady, I'm much older than her, named Chelsea. And she had, I think part of the reason I remember her, she had this, the most fantastic hair, and she still has the most fantastic <laughs> hair. But they wanted to start a float center. And they wanted to start it in Kentucky, which at the time, nobody, it, they were the same situation we had been in, where they didn't allow float centers. So they had a fight ahead of them. So, I, you know, you, you feel you feel a little bonded over that. It's like, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. Um, but I never really forgot them. And sure enough, a little over a year ago, they opened the Weightless Float Center in Louisville, Kentucky. And for people not from the South, that's Louisville. Most people would be <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so they celebrated their one-year anniversary this past weekend. And they actually invited us. And I I, I mean, I'd like to think that we were invited because, you know, we were part of it and, and that sort of thing. But really, I was so incredibly thrilled that they invited us because it is so much fun to celebrate someone who has worked so hard. Hmm. And they really did. They, they've worked hard and they have a beautiful center. I mean, nice. dream-worthy, drool-worthy center. <laughs> and we went and they were they seemed kind of surprised we were there. But, <laughs> but, um, but that's okay. It was that's a good great. surprise, I hope. Yeah. And we had the most delightful time and the best time, and we're so thrilled to be a part of that one-year celebration. So Ooh, cool. I feel like we ended the, the week on a high note. Uh, so congratulations to Weightless Float Center on the one-year anniversary of your beautiful, beautiful service to your community. Awesome. Yeah, congratulations. Fantastic. Yeah. One year. That's a big one. That's that a, big is a big one. one. It means yeah. you opened. <laughs> <laughs> And you've been so floating people. So, yeah. yes, and they did, and I'm so proud. But uh, hopefully your week, how did your week go? Because mine ended on a high note. I'm feeling good. Um, but um, how about you, Dylan? Uh, funny. Um, well, I got to say, so far, this has been my high note. This is fantastic. Like, actually, you've, you've <laughs> totally brightened my mood, uh, which is awesome, uh, which is why you should have friends in the float industry when you're in the float industry. <laughs> this is like every week is so cathartic and so uplifting for me. And uh, it's so thank you. Love you. Love Lance. And again, I'm sorry he's not here tonight. Yeah. But uh, um, so, yeah, it's so nice. Make make friends in the float industry. Get in Float Collective, you know, resonate with particular people. Send them a personal message and chat and pick up the phone, all that stuff. It, it It's really worth it. Um, and by the way, I just want to mention like what you've described. I want to talk to Tom about that. I want to see what his experiences were with a thousand pounds of Epsom salt and tank liners and all that stuff. And, you know, we, we think they're, they've got a lab coat on and, and, you know, they're just conducting research, but they're doing the same things that we're doing and going through all, jumping through all these same hoops and everything, um, which potentially could have been even more difficult back then. Mm -hmm. And, and, yeah. No resources back then. None, I mean, I thought yeah. it was bad when I started. There was nothing for him. So I'm really <laughs> curious to, to find out about that, too. Um, so to, just to be quite frank and, and quite honest, I've been um, questioning myself a lot over the past week. And I've been How feeling uh, pretty, pretty down and insecure, to be quite frank. And uh, probably What's the most, um, well, uh, you know, a, a few, I think it's just a, a cluster of things that have happened to, to kind of question me overall, which is... Um, 
Let's see here. Uh, one thing was actually last week uh, discussing the the photos with you and Lance about the mm-hmm. idea of selling photos as well as donating them, and it not really making sense to me of why you guys had had said that. And I, I don't want to go into that right now because I don't really feel like that like will help our listeners because it's my own personal thing about. Um, you know, that my business thing or, or not business thing or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also spoke with an em- employee that I respect a lot and she totally agreed with you guys as well. And so like, I totally re- respect your guys' opinions and where you're coming from and everything. So mm-hmm. it's just weird that I don't completely understand where you guys are coming from. And um, so it just, that that's odd to me that I have a dissonance where I'm not able to see your guys' perspective because I trust you guys so much and respect mm-hmm. you guys so much. So that was, that's kind of one thing. Um, well- Can I just add to that, Dylan? Ultimately, you know, we all have a different way to approach business. I, you know, Uh I have a very specific way that I approach my business. I have a very specific philosophy. However, that said, uh, just because I am comfortable with my philosophy does not mean that I think everybody should should follow that. Really, absolutely. Um, I think it's silly, Um, and I, I think, you know, reaching out to people and hearing different points of view is fantastic, but ultimately got to do what you're happy with and what you're comfortable with. I mean, I don't think there's any right or wrong in this situation. I I completely agree. And in fact, yeah. um, it kind of backing up, it makes me think about other businesses. And there are people who have a lot of money invested in, in this industry. And it, and it um, I mean, it's business with a capital B. And it makes me think about, um, Again, because I respect you guys so much, I at least want to understand where you're coming from. And and mm-hmm. so just to kind of back um, jump through a couple other things here, there was also a Facebook post where I said something that I don't didn't feel was like super productive uh, for the community. It was in Float Float Collective, and it was nothing super aggressive or anything like that. But I, it just wasn't um, how I want to represent myself necessarily, mm-hmm. and particularly in this in this industry. Um, and also um, some questions brought up about the um, employee that was with us for a very long time and. And how letting that employee go has affected our business and our employees and all that stuff. And it's just really shaken me to my core, <laughs> you know, I mean, it mm. really has. And, and, and made me question just like my values. And uh, you were talking about like that first year of talking with uh, guests as they're coming in and everything. That is such a sweet, romantic time. And it's yeah. beautiful. And I'm five years on um, into my business. And um, I, I don't talk to a whole lot of customers anymore. Um, it's it's been really nice to work shifts uh, because I, I do get to. But even even working shifts, I'm not doing a good job. You know, I'm not meeting all the requirements that a, that a regular employee would do. And and uh, so again, I think that just although it's different, is making me feel a little bit insecure. And so uh, just feeling um, like uh, so. Uh, Okay, so now, now that I've gone through all of that stuff, uh, just mm-hmm. the idea of like, who am I as a business person? Who am I as a person, just a human being? And, you know, if, if I can say, if I don't even understand where you, uh, Emily is the person that I spoke with and Lance are, are coming from, that to, to make a, a decision, a moral decision without even understanding feels really weird to me. Um, and the other part of that is, um, I mean, yeah, if, if I understood and I can say, yeah, but I can justify for myself making a decision, that makes more sense to me. But just not even being able to wrap my head around it scares me a little bit. Um, and, you know, having made a decision with uh, terminating an employee um, with, with some urgency, um, also, and, and that being still being feeling the effects of that today um, shakes me. And 
I, I don't want to be um, righteous and I don't want to be able to run my business with a vision without questions or without checks and balances. And so, um, yeah, those are just the things I'm feeling. I feel very raw. Um, and uh, the, the really good news is that I did hop into a float today. And uh, <laughs> that actually <laughs> really helped. I have barely floated since Erica was born. And um, it just, it, it, what's really funny is I didn't think about any of those things at all. I actually had very little on my mind. And, um, but the amazing thing about the float tank is you just, it just centers you. And so, mm. Um, and you know we've we've talked about the default mode network, or Justin's talked about, uh, and and Liber uh, speakers have spoken about the default mode network and how we spend so much time thinking about the future or the past, and and you know our brain is just running on overdrive about these other different uh, things that aren't in the moment. And I just feel like it it really did help bring me back to the moment and just center me a bit. So mm. bless bless those float tanks. It, it they are a real thing, and uh, they they continue to impact my life. So that's nice. But yeah, but, but I'm still raw and just talking about it right now. I'm just trying to, uh, kind of maintain a little bit here. So I don't know if you have anything that you want to add to that. <laughs> it's kind you of, know. An, we don't normally <laughs> talk about, I mean, this isn't a standard show topic. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't have any answers for you and that's sure. really not my, and y'all know that's not my place to, to find answers. But one thing that I am encouraged by is when you get to this point, when you're feeling raw, when everything feels overwhelming, uh, it usually means there's a nice change coming mm. and you just have to get through the dark to see the light. And the tank is a really beautiful place to stop and reorient yourself and get get time to look at the overreaching plan and the goals uh, that you have so you can, re you know, re readjust or reorient your path towards them. And uh, it sounds like you're doing some beautiful work and you're not alone, I'm sure, in this. <sighs> Thanks. Yeah, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I, I do, that, that's funny that you bring that up because it resonates with me with the idea. And this is actually Carl Jung who talks about, um, I think Freud was everything about, you know, everything's about your childhood development. And Carl Jung is like, you're, you're growing throughout your entire life. There, there's, it, it should never stop. And if you have these, if you don't have times where you feel bad <laughs> or are questioning things, something's wrong there. You're supposed to get depressed. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I'm depressed, but you're supposed to have these times of heavy questioning or get uh, sad or depressed. And I'm obviously, I'm putting this through my own filter here. Uh, but, um, I, that, that's always really resonated with me that we're, this is supposed to continue. It's not like you just go through your teens, have a rough time. And then the rest of your life is, is all locked into place and it's supposed to rock. <laughs> you know, it, who we are in the moment is what got us to that moment. And I have heard that we have to change to get, to keep growing, <laughs> to go to that next space. So uh, I think there's a book based on that. And I really just uh, really messed up that paraphrasing. But um, <laughs> but just know that I have no answers, but you're in my heart. Oh, and uh, yeah, uh, floating, man, that's that's where it's at. It, it certainly is. Yeah. And it's a I wanna, good start anyway. It, I want to be a, I want to be a good person. I want to provide a safe space for people in my in my float center and make sure that I have a certain level of integrity with my actions, you know, so just um to feel like those things aren't uh, fully in place through some of my actions is, I guess, that's probably a good thing that that's rattling me, right? Like, if that wasn't rattling me, then I'd probably be be a big old jerk. So, um, 
I guess it's it's what I do with these feelings and these thoughts. And uh, yeah, so I'm just going to spend some more time with those. <sighs> All right. Well, no, no better way to segue to Float Helm, <laughs> uh, which... Uh, Speaking of getting people into their float tanks, uh, great for scheduling, great for customer management, credit card payments, I think is one that's sometimes overlooked is that you don't need a separate point of sale uh, credit card machine. Um, they can take credit card payments uh, through Float Helm, which is fantastic. Um, also, metrics for tracking your float tanks is something that we've covered quite a bit on this show. That's something that we do at the float shop is every day and throughout the week, different measurements are being taken on our float tanks. And uh, those, those are there. So if you know the, the city ever comes knocking and wants to see what our float tanks have been up to, we could tell them um, about four and a half years back exactly what's been going on. And uh, of course, staff scheduling as well, which is uh, a pretty big one for us too. It just it brings all these different pieces of software that you could be paying all sorts of money for, all just into one system that's integrated across all, all those different, uh, all, the, all your different needs. It knows who everybody is. It just streamlines everything for you. It's, it's nice that it's all under one roof. Floathelm.com is where you want to go to check that out. And now I'm extremely excited and honored to bring on Tom, fine. Tom, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Yeah. Welcome to the show. It, it really is an honor to have you. Thanks for joining us. You're um, welcome. Can you uh, let people know, um, well, first of all, what are you, what do you, are you doing today? Um, and can you give us a little background on, on who you are? Okay. Today, I'm an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry. I spend most of my time doing psychotherapy. Okay. A fair amount of my time, uh, while I'm doing psychotherapy, I'm working with biofeedback or other mindfulness approaches. Um, I, I use a lot of heart rate variability feedback with the, the people I work with. Um, I also teach medical students. I spend probably about a third of my time teaching medical students and residents. Okay. Being in a department of psychiatry, uh, we have residents who are, they're already doctors, they're being trained to be psychiatrists, and I work with them learning how to interview and do psychotherapy. And I work with medical students sort of in the same vein. I, I, look, I work with them while they're interviewing patients, and then we talk about patients so they can begin to get a deeper understanding of what they're working with. Interesting. But along the way, I'm also <laughs> I'm also trying to get float tanks back at our university. Is and that right? So yeah, lately we've been I've been working both with people in my department, and I've also been working with a psychologist in the Department of Psychology of the University of Toledo, trying to. I last Wednesday we went up to Ann Arbor and. I had my departmental administrator and the psychologist float at Bloom Wellness oh, awesome. while I sat in the massage chair. Oh. <laughs> wow, I'm so sorry. So I, so I got a massage chair instead of a float. <laughs> but uh, so we're, we're sort of working on that. And, and just recently I found out that about five minutes from my house, uh, Six Tank Center is going to open. Oh, my God. It's a true rest center. All right. And it's going to have six round of their new round pods. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's getting built right as we speak. So does so, that mean you might not need to have float tanks at your school? or? 
Well, I think from the standpoint of what I would like to do with them at the school. What, yeah, let's get into that. What would you like to do? I, we'd like to use them pro, three areas. One is general work with what we call behavioral medicine. So we'd be working with people with pain disorders or other types of stress-related problems using the float tank. And that's, that's really what we used to do okay. before the one that we had in the Department of Psychiatry was decommissioned, which uh -huh. was about four years ago. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, oh. At a point in time, probably 96 or 97, we stopped doing research, but I continued to have the float tank. Uh -huh. And it wasn't until probably 2002 12 that eh, maybe it was 2011 that it actually got you know they started saying we 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 can't do I was I was on the road at that time okay. doing a research project that had to do with PTSD interviewing members of the Ohio National Guard uh -huh. and so I was doing no clinical work and they're going we really need that room we need that room <laughs> but it was going to cost them of course $15,000 to renovate the room. Oh, because wow. what we had done with that room was uh, it was originally going to be just a room for a pod-type tank, and instead we turned it into a float room. So, the, you know, it was... It, when I get back into the whole history of, of what we did, because we do have a great salt story... Uh. Um, <laughs> I, I think we have actually the all-time best salt oh, wow. ever. Oh, wow. Ever. So, <laughs> but, That's uh, a nice teaser. So, so we, we had a, a tank in the department and utilized that tank not only for some research, but primarily with, with patients. And we were using it for people with anxiety, with pain disorders, um, a variety of different things. And so we'd like to get that going again. But the psychologist I was talking to is um, someone who's really interested in behavioral medicine, is working with patients in, car in cardiac rehab right now, and would like to expand that. So, you know, we see this as sort of an opportunity to go with maybe a pain program, a stress management program, and then open it up to both the athletic side of the university and just for people to come in and float. Awesome. So it would have a sort of a broad spectrum. So we're thinking of two tanks instead of the six tank idea. You know? <laughs> so who knows? A little more manageable. Well, if you're in charge of yeah, maintenance, then two is probably better. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be in charge yeah. of that. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be in charge of that. Not the way we maintain them. Ooh. <laughs> which gets back to the beginning of our work. Please. Which please. takes us back to 1978. All right. And we, well, really, I, I had read John Lilly's work, Center of the Cyclone. Yeah. That, I remember I was on vacation at the time. And I, I, you know, I was like, where can I get one of these tanks and take some LSD and get in the tank, you know? Wow. And I had had LSD experiences in college. So you know, Tom, I, that I was sort of... 
I saw a picture of you in your youth, and I had a feeling you might have had an LSD experience. <laughs> so, so, you know, his, his descriptions were resonating with me. Oh, okay, yeah. But then, you know, that sort of faded, and I never actually got to get in a tank. And then in 1977, even though I had written Lee Perry a letter, probably in 1973, and she sent me a brochure for a cardboard tank. Yes, yes. Okay, the first, their, their first. Uh, so, 77 came along, and, and John Lilly published The Deep South. So I grabbed it, and I'm going, at that time, I was working, and we had a behavioral medicine clinic. We were doing biofeedback work, primarily with people with stress-related disorders, and using various relaxation uh, practices, one of them called autogenic training, which utilizes phrases, and the key aspect of those phrases is arms and legs are heavy and warm. And I kept thinking to myself, okay, you're lying in 94 and a half degrees, no light, no sound, your arms and legs are feeling heavy and warm. You know, you are going to enter this low state of physiological arousal, really driven by having a much stronger output from the parasympathetic portion of the autonomic nervous system, counteracting the normal activation coming from the sympathetic portion, you're going to enter into that state. I know it. I know you are. <laughs> I haven't been there. I haven't been in there, but I know you are, right? Totally. And, and John Turner, um, is, who did the work, all of the work with me, as a physiologist, I, our uh, behavioral medicine clinic was located on the same floor that his office was in. Okay. And I'd seen him. We had never met. And I'm talking to a graduate student about, yeah, I really want to get one of these tanks. I really want to do some research with it. He looks at me and goes, you ought to talk to Turner. And so I did. I gave him a copy of The Deep Self. Nice. And it turned into, I was able also to find someone who would, was very generous and gave us some private money to fund the research initially. We wrote up a, a grant and we wrote up a project. Mm -hmm. And the next thing was we bought a Samadhi tank. Nice. And it was not cardboard, it was plastic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't the double-sided plastic. It was only the single-sided plastic. Wow. Okay, at that time. So the, the interior was really mm, probably three-inch beadboard or two-inch beadboard mm -hmm. and four inches of beadboard on the bottom and four inches of beadboard on the top. So it, it was very well insulated. Cool. Well, so, you know, we filled it up with salt and it took forever because we had really cold water and I had to pray in there a long time just like <laughs> you were talking about. Nice. Okay. Nice. And... You know, but eventually it got warm enough and I got to lay back and float. And I said, yeah, see, heavy and warm, you know. Nice, nice. <laughs> so how many so, scientists did it take to fill up a float tank? Uh, at that time it was two, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a, and the really bad water heaters. So. Oh, I bet. Mm. I, I, I mean, even like just the water to salt ratio and figuring that all out for the first time, I just imagine... Well, actually, Samadhi had pretty good instructions. Oh, great. Awesome. But of okay. course, you know, you don't follow them exactly. You know, put all the salt in first, 
then add the water slowly. No, no, we're not going to do it that way. <laughs> and so then you get a little bit more water in than you want, so you got to right. put more salt in. You know. <laughs> but you guys know all about that. Indeed. So, <laughs> Indeed uh, so, so you know, we we went on for a number of years. Uh, I think about two, two and a half years. Well, no, I I would say. From 78 to 83, we only had the Samadhi tank. Mm -hmm. So all the experiments we were doing was with the Samadhi, which we modified because the Samadhi at that time didn't have sound. So oh. what we did was we dropped a couple of speakers just into, in the air, I mean, oh, really mounted right? them in there. Uh -huh. And I think we covered them in plastic so that you know it wouldn't get totally destroyed. Right. <laughs> And we cut a hole, which you've seen the pictures of that, yeah, the hole that's in the side of the we'll, tank. We'll post so that. they could they could they could uh, stick their uh, basically stick their arms in and uh, or out, mm -hmm. and we could draw blood or we could take blood pressure, we could do whatever. Uh, we also put a light in the tank, a little light, uh -huh. so we could introduce light and take it off at very at various times if we from wanted to. From the outside, to. you could. From the outside. We had all this controlled from the outside. We had, we had, we had a, you know, a microphone and a mixer and everything else, so I could talk to people, and I could actually hear them talk to me. Oh, wow. The nice thing about the Samadhi is you could actually hear them talk to you. Because <laughs> you we, I was right next oh. to her. It was behind a curtain, and I was there. You know, it was a Wizard of Oz type of thing. <laughs> there weren't a lot of separate rooms, so... It, it was, uh, and m most of our early floaters were medical students. So we're dealing with young people in the age of, <clears throat> you know, 21 to 24 most of the time. Okay. But, but we did have other age, age people, but medical students were very interested and wanted to participate in studies. And so. And, and what year did you get this started? Did you well, say 78. 78. I think okay. I think I think we purchased the tank in '78. Yeah. I, I've asked Lee Perry to dig up the records. She can't find the invoice. <laughs> oh come on, Lee! I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I'm sorry I'm going to digress here, but I'm going to bring up altered states. Okay. Yes. I I mean just what you're describing. It just sounds like altered states is based off the research that you're doing. How how do you feel about that? Do the timelines match up? I think it came out in 80, is that, is that right? Correct. Well, right? actually, okay. here's the Altered States story. Okay. Patty Chayefsky wrote the book Altered States, which was really a book kind of screenplay, or at least mm. it was a book designed to be a screenplay. Sure, sure. The way Patty got the idea, or at least the story behind it, is Patty's publisher and John Lilly's publisher were the same publisher. Wow. And somebody had slipped him an advance copy of The Scientist. And if you read the book Altered States, you will, you will find in, in the book The Scientist, John describes this one scene where Craig Enright has taken ketamine and has turned into sort of a primal man. Howling at the moon or whatever. I don't remember exactly what he said in the book. Sure. And then there's that sort of same description, very close description, 
in the Patty Chavsky book, Altered States. All right. And so the, the tank that they used in the film, they got the design by coming and looking at the Samadhi tank. Ken okay. Russell, who was the producer. It totally makes sense. Yeah, director of the film did that. Okay. Um, so where we come in on that is that after Altered States came out, and we began to get a parade of news people mm. coming to look at our work. Uh, and what happened with one of those is they took a cut from Altered States and embedded it in the news story. So they had us closing the door oh, on no. one of our subjects <laughs> who was actually wired with electrodes on his forehead, and it closed, and then it cut directly to the alder <laughs> tank, <laughs> where the tank is going, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Wow. So we had a lot of fun back then. <laughs> we did, along with the science. We had, we had some good and, fun. You know, I mean, as far as that goes, like, having fun with it, it feels very rock star to me to be doing this kind of research. Like, this seems pretty wild to me. Did you guys feel that at the time? Was there an excitement about this? Well, we both wanted to be rock stars anyway. So, ah. you know, we, and we knew we were never going to make that. <laughs> but, yeah, it did have a little bit of that quality. Cool. Yeah, nice. it, had, it, it had a little bit of that quality. But it also had the plain old grind science quality to it. And then it had the Good. salt quality. Please, please, yes. I, I want to hear this. What's up with so, um, as you know, because you probably, well, maybe you may or may not have used swimming pool pumps. I okay. think we do. Yeah, we, 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 do. we stopped using swimming pool pumps and went to magneto pumps. Okay. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Right. But you may be using magneto swimming pool pumps. But we. The original pump given to us by Samadhi was a classic swimming pool pump. Mm -hmm. And you know what happens to the classic swimming pool pump pumping salt solution. The seal eventually goes pretty nice. quickly. Okay, but it's just dribbling a little bit. <laughs> you know, and it's sitting in this, we had it sitting in basically this very nice uh, thing that Samadhi had given us, it's sort of like a cat litter tray, large one, right? <laughs> and it's just dripping in there and it's corroding down. And, but, you know, <laughs> right. we clean it every once in a while. But it's not doing enough to really tear the whole thing apart sure. and put a new seal in. I think we'd done it once. So hmm. we had medical students, one of, one of the re one of the basic ways we were able to do our research is we had a lot of medical students who wanted to do research with us. And the school at the time was paying us, basically, or giving us a certain amount of money to work with these students. And we could use that money then to for lab supplies and other things that we needed to do for, uh, to keep the research going. So we had a student who was running an experiment and had run some people on a Friday and had turned the pump on because we always ran the pump for so many, you know, minutes or hours or whatever. Certain. We, had a, we didn't have a timer at that time. We just had a switch. Sure. Well, he didn't turn it off. Oh. oh. Ran all weekend. That little drip, <laughs> drip, drip, drip. Oh. When we came in. Oh, no. 
Well, actually, I, I think I was on vacation because I got a call from John. He says, Tom, you won't believe what's happened. Like, I came in and there was no water, no solution oh in the tank. Oh, no. I said, my God, is the room flooded? He said, oh, no. Not good. No, no, not our room. <laughs> We're on the third floor. Oh, oh no. no. And thus ended the folk <sighs> research. <laughs> right below us. <laughs> the oh room gosh. below us oh, no. contained a PDP-11 computer. So, <gasps> so, you know these little things we're working with today? Yeah. They're probably <laughs> 10 times more powerful than a PDP. But let me tell you how big a PDP was. Right. <laughs> you know, it stood about five feet high, and it had about four or five uh, very large consoles, okay? Oh, my word. And so when I got over there and I went down in the room, first of all, there are these huge salt icicles oh, nice. hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and there are salt icicles hanging from all these different parts of the computer. Oh, no, no, no. And the and there's there's back then they didn't have keyboards they had these things that looked like teletype machines you know and okay. it's just covered. <laughs> oh no, this is not good, not good. Well, we actually got the whole thing cleaned up, and really, it actually continued. The computer continued to run. The computer wow. was okay. It She'll didn't die. Too, that's <laughs> <No>. for sure. <laughs> Wow. Oh, I, my word. Stalagmites or stalactites. I get them confused, but either way, that's impressive. That's, I assume you walked in and just appreciated the beauty of having these beautiful <laughs> I think that it wasn't quite beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, is this over? <laughs> Are we over? Exactly. Yeah, and, and so what was the repercussion? Did you get a slap on the wrist or what happened? Well, actually, <clears throat> what end? Yeah, it was a slap on the wrist. Nobody, nobody really. We, we, you know, paid for it to be cleaned or whatever. I don't know. I think we did a lot of the cleaning. I'm trying to remember. All, all I know is that. I think. It 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 didn't leak again. The samadhi, and then we tore the samadhi out, and were given a flotarium. Pete oh, Shepard, who uh, you know built the flotarium tank, they showed it at the New Orleans meeting, which was in 1985 of the Inter I IRIS, which was the International Rust Investigator Society. Mm -hmm. So they came down, exhibited it, and then they said, "We're going to, you know, we're going to give you a tank to do research with." So they brought it up, and we had dismantled the samadhi. And I think one time I came in to the room, John was filling it up with water, and he had forgotten about that. And he left, he left the building. Oh, my God. He was gone somewhere. And I, I go walking by the room, and the, it, the flotarium is this pod tank. You know, it's sort of belching, belching water. I and own I go, the flotarium, just so you know. I, I know exactly the float tank. So, so this I'm is flipping very out here. I'm flip, uh, and, but anyway, that, that didn't turn into too bad of a mess, but some of it did leak downstairs again. And after that, 
they they said, okay, you gotta you gotta put something, and so we put in a liner thing that would catch the any spill. So amazing yeah. that over thirty years later we're still figuring out. <laughs> oh right, right. the flooring. Yeah, I mean, when I hear you guys talk about salt things, I just sort of chuckle because the same thing happened in our float room. We had a float room that was designed in the building. I told them when they built this room, the the room the building was built in 1987. And so they were building a room to put a float tank in. And I said, I want tile all around. And so basically the entire room was tile except the ceiling. Nice. And uh, But still, the salt found its ways, you okay. know. Oh, yes. You know, into the rooms next door, into the uh, stuff. So, okay, those are my salt stories. Yep, you're uh, you're preaching to the choir with that one. Yeah, salt, salt's a beast. Um, so you, some things never change. Yeah, I know, right? So you and and yeah, it, just, it feels like even float tanks haven't changed that much. So just the principal idea behind it, everything. It's it's all based around that samadhi concept, but. Um, you talk about stress, and when we talk to Dr. Feinstein, we talk about anxiety. Can you talk about the difference between the two? And I'd, I'd just like to see where that conversation goes. Um, well, I think when we think about stress from a scientific point of view, we think about it in two different ways. One is the stress response system itself. So our biological system has as one of its key operational parts a network of interrelated systems that respond to threat. Now, we go back in biology 250, 300,000 years, um, you're talking about a humanoid system that is primarily responding to environmental threat. Mm -hmm. You bring forward to us currently and you have, we're primarily re responding to symbolic threats. Mm. I mean, people don't have the type of physical threat you know, yeah. as a usual thing. I mean, once in a while. But they do have symbolic threats throughout the day, constantly. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about stress as a, as a system, we're talking about that stress response system responding moment to moment to those threats. Mm -hmm. And then when we're talking about stress overall, if we're talking... Um, I'm stressed, or stress-causing disease. We're talking about models that explain how that operation of that stress response system constantly causes wear and tear on the body mm. and results in dysfunction and disease. Mm -hmm. So that's where you come up with things like um, Hans Selye had this concept called the general adaptation syndrome, or today, probably the most uh, widely used concept in terms of stress-related illness is the term allostatic load. What does that mean? So, 
when you think about, we've all maybe heard the term homeostasis. Mm -hmm. So, and most of us know that our body is trying to regulate things. So, 98.6 or somewhere in that range is what we would consider to be a normal temperature for the human body when it's taken orally, a little bit higher when it's taken rectally. That means, and, and we expect it to stay relatively close to that fixed point, mm -hmm. and we know that the body has to be doing things to maintain that. So if I get in a room that's too hot, or you get in a float tank that's too hot, you start to sweat to regulate that, right? So basically, all of the functions, all the physiological functions in our body operate in that manner. In other words, that they are sort of operating around an ideal range. Mm -hmm. Allostasis is an idea that says, okay, we have multiple physiological systems that are all trying to operate within some sort of range. And the way the set points are created for that range is basically a prediction that's made by the body about the amount of demand that it's going to have to respond to. Mm -hmm. So, and, and how does it, I, I, I'm, you might, maybe you're already going here, but how does it get that prediction? Is that passed on through us? Is that a preset amount that it, it assumes a human is going to have to go through? Or is it your day-to-day? -day? Well, allostasis assumes that the prediction is based on prior experience. In your life, so prior it's, experience. Yeah, Got it. prior, okay. prior experience. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> obviously, there's some biological realities that, that come into play about you know, how, how, the, how all of our systems may function a little bit differently. Sure. But from the allostatic point of view, it's saying we're keeping score. The brain, you know, the brain, the whole system is sort of keeping score along the way, and it's setting itself to operate within what it expects the demand is going to be. So then you throw that into the whole idea of the float tank. And the float tank really changes all the demand parameters. Well, it really gives the opportunity to be, for a moment, a period of time, you know, in a state of extremely low or no demand. Uh-huh. And so what does it mean to have, so it has an expectation, you're your system has a certain expectation for a certain amount of stress to come in. It's, it's ready to have a stress response, I think is what you're describing. Um, based on your, your previous experiences, it's ready to have a response. And so does that mean basically it's going to make sure you have that response and you're going to get stressed out about something small no matter what so that you can still have that well, feeling? Well, I'll tell you what. I think if you would talk to the people that came up with this idea, Sterling mm -hmm. and Iyer, mm -hmm. I think Peter Sterling would say, yeah, that's what's going on. I mean, I, I, again, these are, these are theories, and I think we really need to spend some time, in, you know, in the next 20, 30 years, really figuring out what's going on. But I, my sense is, yes, that we're most of the time 
responding to our predictions. We're not really responding to something static in the environment. There it couldn't be. I mean, there's been no safer time in history. I mean, for the world, but let alone here in the U.S., uh, we don't have. I mean, there's there's no fight for food, shelter. All those things are met completely. I can push a button and have food delivered to my home. Like there there are none of these basic threats to our survival that we used to have to face on the daily. So it there ha that has to be a reality to to some degree, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and and it does make sense. And if you remember Kyle Simmons' talk that he gave at uh, the the float conference, and it may have been two years ago or three years ago, he was talking about basically how the how they're hypothesizing that the brain creates what we call interoception. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about this prediction concept in terms of the brain creating a sense of feeling of our internal experience. And so if we really start to think about it, that probably applies to internal experience, external experience. For the most part, we're operating in a prediction and we're sort of checking to see the accuracy of that prediction. And it's not until there's something really jumps out at us that you know, shocks us out of it, that all of a sudden says, oh, maybe that prediction is not accurate. I need yeah, to change would, it. What would cause that? Because so the way I'm thinking about it, we don't need these basic survival things anymore. So then it becomes germs and invisible things that make us feel like panicky or, you know, my baby drops her binky. I got to get soap and water on that to make sure she's safe. But that's not a reality. Well, OK, so now you're getting to more of what we call anxiety. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's stress, right? Now okay. you're talking about anxiety, which is couples sort of a high state of arousal, so a high stress state, uh -huh. with then a certain kind of worry. Mm -hmm. this worry is just sort of a natural problem-solving thing. When, okay. when the float tank that they took apart and wanted to find the leak, <laughs> they went into a kind of a problem-solving kind of worry. Right, right. Okay? And the thing is, so you're, you're, you're working on something, and you sort of know you're eventually going to find out the answer to it, uh -huh. right? And, and it eventually does work that way. So it, it's different than anxiety, because anxiety, anxiety becomes a part of worry where I can't fix it, because what I'm worried about is not a certainty, but it's a prediction in the future. Uh-huh. Right? Right, right, right. So, right. you know, one, one concept about anxiety is all anxiety is in the future, right. like all depression is in the past. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That, you know. That makes sense. Um, so, but the stress is I have found the leak, like, or I've been a, become aware of the leak in the float tank. Is that the stress response moment? Well... Yeah, I, I would say that the moment you find the leak in the, in the tank, then you know you have to fix the leak in the tank. Sure. And so your stress response system is going to go up. Uh -huh. Okay, your stress response system elevates whenever there's a sense of threat, some kind of threat. 
Okay. Okay. So a problem is a sense of threat because it's getting you ready to act. So you find you right. you realize there's a leak. I got to do something about it, and you're acting, and you're acting, and you're acting. Okay. Um, and so it's going to maintain itself until you've resolved the leak. Like if they were still worried about the leak, they'd still be stressed, <laughs> right? right? Yes, totally. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd be anxious about right. when they're going to get this done by for their and, customers and, to get in. And they'll be a little bit nervous every time they see a little salt in the wrong area. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, no, maybe it's still leaking. <laughs> totally. Okay, yeah. this, is, this is getting clearer for me. Thank you. Um, now I want to bring it. You were, a little while ago, bringing it back to the float tank. So let's. can, can you <laughs> bring it back to the float tank? Sure. Um, the float tank in and of itself is an extremely low demand environment. It's almost zero demand. When, when we came up with the name that we used for the uh, Human Subjects Committee, we, back then we had something called the Human Subjects Committee. So we had to present to them that we're gonna put people in this thing. And the only thing that was around in science about this before had been called sensory deprivation, uh -huh. which everybody knew made you psychotic. You know, it was just this whole thing. And so we, we, we know we can't use sensory dep deprivation. So we called it a controlled minimum stimulation environment. Hmm. And that's really in many ways what it is. You know, you, you have just minimum amounts of stimulation yeah. in that environment. So it's low demand. And the only time there become demands in there is when we generate them internally. Hmm. That's why it it has a lot of potential for therapeutic effect mm -hmm. because we're allowed, we, we, the person can generate them internally or does generate them internally, but then actually has the opportunity to realize that's what's going on, which then they can react to it differently. That's what you were talking about, is something kind of taking you out of it to, to kind of reassess. Yeah, so, and the other part of it is just floating you talked about it earlier. You floated, you were troubled by some things, you floated, you felt clearer afterwards. You felt better afterwards. Mm -hmm. So these troubling things had your stress response system going. It turned down some, okay. And it's also going to affect the way you wake up tomorrow and predict the day will be. In essence, yeah. your system yeah. now begins to predict a lower rate of demand. Uh -huh. So it, it begins to shift it just for the experience. And you go on vacation, it does the same thing. <laughs> right, you right. Know? This and, is something that you were measuring and finding during this research in the late 70s, well, early 80s? To a degree, we weren't conceptualizing it that way. Because okay. the whole, actually, allostasis... The term hadn't even been coined. That wasn't until the 80s. So, but the person that really kind of, uh, both John and I uh, became, uh, I guess, inspired by was Gary Schwartz, who was at Yale University. And he had a concept that he called uh, dysregulation theory. And he was using a systems concept that focused on negative feedback much like allostasis does, but he was, he was just basically postulating that 
anytime negative feedback systems became disrupted or distorted, ultimately the system was not regulating very well. Mm -hmm. And we were hypothesizing that was what was happening in the float tank was a re-regulation because negative feedback systems were actually getting reconnected in there. Wow. Because of very low demand and because attention goes basically to the self and in a sense the tank sort of manipulates your appraisal of self-information to move towards the non-threatening from the threatening. So I, I don't want to get into all the thinking about that, but I'm, I'm digging it. <laughs> yeah, you can. But but based on that, so then uh, the the study that we published in 1991, which looked at the variability, both mean levels and variability of in cortisol of people who float floated frequently, compared to people who were in sort of a sham condition uh, for the same amount of time, a control type oh. condition. Mm -hmm. Okay, just sitting in a in a in a chair. Sure. And what we found was that the people who floated regularly we saw a reduction in their mean levels of cortisol, and we also saw a reduction in the variability around the mean of their cortisol, which we interpreted as meaning the system was getting a little bit tighter. It was working better. Oh, okay. interesting. Yeah. That's now, a great... That's a great nugget right there. Right. So then we could reinterpret that today and say, well, maybe what was going on is actually the system was beginning to predict lower levels of demand and was working more efficiently because of that. But, you know, it's there's really probably a ton of scientific work to be done to sort of both validate this whole concept and in humans, the, the, the whole notion of the way allostat uh, the allostatic systems or the, the systems are working in an allostatic way and that, um, you know, then that, that some sort of in intervention like the float tank is really, you know, so, tightening so, that up. So it's not, scientists in general aren't completely on board 100% with the idea, the concept that the body is predicting the stress responses of the future based on the past? I, I would say that probably, um, well, I wouldn't say they're not completely on board with that hypothesis, but there's a difference between having an idea or a hypothesis or a description, right? Mm -hmm and having tons of evidence that that's exactly what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, do you think that thought is, or, or that uh, trend will uh, uh, influence uh, where float tank research is going? Or, or will it, or will it in, impede it in any way? You mean the fact that things are getting more that molecular? Science, yeah, that science is kind of, uh, changing where they're focusing well i think the one the one area that that's not totally true is in mental health work mm -hmm. and since justin right now 
Uh, he's operating in a brain research center. Uh, they're doing a lot of uh, the type of research that ends up being able to be applied to mental health that in those areas, no. So I, I, I think the float tank research is, is really going to be mostly focused in those areas. I mean, what, really what's happened with float tanks is they have become kind of an over-the-counter therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an odd thing. I mean, there, there are a couple of different things. I mean, on one hand, you probably get... Is, I, 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 this is a question to ask both of you because you both run centers. In psychotherapy, the modal number of sessions, that means the most frequent number of sessions, right, that we see people is one. Hmm. So if you examine large insurance company data, what you see is the largest number of people come in for only one session. Now, very quickly, most people's practices fill up with people who are coming regularly and maybe four years. And not maybe once every week, but maybe once every two weeks or once every three weeks and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they start off more intensively and then they slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys find that you're getting a lot of people coming in for only one float? I think if we were to look at the statistics, it would look very similar to, to what you just described. That, that'd be my guess. Okay. Uh, I agree. As someone who worked, I worked in massage before this. I was, uh, I did oncology work, um, massage therapy, and I had a very, very high return rate. And I remember in the beginning of our flood center, I was extremely shocked by how low the return rate was. Mm-hmm. Now it's improved over the years, but mm-hmm. we're still looking at probably 30% mm-hmm. of the, re- of the return rate I was seeing at other clinics huh. and places that I worked. Well, I, you know, I think that I think that's very interesting. I think that one, one of the one of the books I pick, picked up and started reading again just a little bit is a book that was written uh, by one of the investigators who worked in the original sensory deprivation days. His name was Marvin Zuckerman and he created a concept called sensation seeking. And it's interesting because sensation seeking doesn't necessarily mean that the person is uh, necessarily seeking an environment filled with sensation, but they're seeking an environment that's novel Hmm. and that's something they haven't experienced Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And so a sensation-seeking person actually likes the flotation tank, but likes it once. Right. right. <laughs> I believe that. that we high, see a lot of that. But you know, it's interesting. I've I've been reading uh, a few books over the last uh, few months. Uh, the Shallows by Nicholas Carr and and uh, Deep Work by um, uh, Newport. Oh, I can't think of his name. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, so I've I've been reading a lot of things about. Uh, how we are changing because our world is changing and how uh, the difference in our brains, things that are happening with all this uh, technology and, and so much input that we're going through every single day. Uh, do you think, and this is really is just a, a question just to 
uh, I don't think anybody knows the answer yet, but do you think that could impact the type of clients that we're seeing or uh, the reason for a lower return rate? Uh, are our brains changing? Are we different people than we were even 10 years ago, do you think? I don't know. I think biology is incredibly stable. You know, it, it's flexible and neuroplastic. Our brains are neuroplastic, but right. biology itself doesn't tend to change quickly. It changes very, very slowly. So I, I do think we're going through uh, a period of transition right now. And yes, we, it really did get jump-started with the computer and internet age, and now that we can carry a computer in our, you know, in our palms. Mm -hmm. And, and communication has, you know, exploded astronomically. If, if we think about what communication was like in the beginning of 1900 and where it is at 2017, that's 117 years, you know, it's, I mean, that, that's a curve that's, you know, you know, way up. So, um yeah, I, I, I think people are stressed by the amount of information they're getting. And it, w it wouldn't surprise me that people are looking for ways, maybe, to turn that off. Unfortunately, the most traditional ways that we have of turning off the stress response are alcohol and other drugs. <laughs> I mean, that's what humans have that's sort of always done, you know. Yeah. Well, a few do the walk in the woods, the quieting, that sort of thing. But I, I really think the tank provides a lot of people with a very natural way to uh, do some, some therapy for themselves, whether it's for their physical body or their emotional self, you know, that sort of thing. I, I, think, I think people will find their way to that. Mm. It's really interesting to hear you say that, um, that it can be therapy for people and not just physical because, I mean, in the past two days, I've had two conversations with, with people talking about how this is therapy without a therapist. And it's really nice to kind of get the, a little backup on that concept, you know? Um, well, I think one of the, one of the uh, employees at, at, at uh, the float shop, Aaron, right? <clears throat> Didn't no, she I don't work? Think... Uh -uh. Emily? Emily, oh. Emily. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong yeah, name. Yeah. Wrong name. Emily. All good, all good. Yes. Close. Yeah. Beans right. Thank you. We're good. Very much, Amy. <laughs> no. uh, who, she struggled with eating disorder. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. And used it very therapeutically. Right. Very Absolutely. naturally. Great yeah. example, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great example of that. Well, I want to bridge that to, um, and, and we'll start, start winding down here, but uh, I do want to ask about um, your opinion or just thoughts on, I think, um, I think it was called the Psychedelic Science Conference <clears throat> that, that just ended as of the recording of this, I think yesterday. Uh, maybe it was two days ago. Either way, it happened, happened over the weekend, and um, there, there's, in the history of, of this conference, uh, there's connections to float tanks, and we brought up uh, LSD earlier, and I'm just curious, do you have any thoughts on psychedelics and float tanks today? Um, I, actually, no. I, <laughs> um, that's, that's okay. I, I would imagine that 
you know, because there is such a proliferation of tank centers and because there is probably a fair amount of availability of psychedelics that some people are probably doing that. I mean, it would seem to me the tank is a very safe place to do a psychedelic. Hmm. Um, you're certainly not going to be put on a bad trip by anybody else but yourself. No kidding, right? Okay. Um, though, you know, we always sort of followed the policy in when we had our tanks that we didn't want anybody going in, you know, using them. Yeah. Uh, just because um, of the unpredictability. The, I, I also think that, however, you know, as I'm saying, it's a safe place because nobody's there. Um, probably the safest way to do psychedelics is with someone who's really a good, trusted guide, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it is such a powerful experience. Mm -hmm. And just there may be some room for some real research here. I mean, there's an opening up right now of you know, the scientific community back into looking at what the experience that's created by psychedelics can be used for, both in treatment and what it's saying about our consciousness, you, you what we can learn. So I, I could see a com I could see, you know, I could see in, you know, five or ten years, if we can keep float tank research out there, uh -huh. that, you know, somebody might be able to do some experiments combining the two. Especially if you had shorter acting psychedelics. Oh, interesting. Right. You know? Right. So yeah. you didn't have to, you know, stay in the tank eight hours. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, I was in for four and a half hours once. That's a long time. Wow. And I'm assuming not sober. Is that, is no, that I was sober. I was. Oh, you were sober. I was okay. totally sober. <laughs> this was it. This was basically to see what it would feel like, because we we did do an experiment with people quitting smoking, where mm -hmm. we floated them three times, and I think the final float was maybe two and a half or three hours. We wanted to see what it would be like if we tried to extend it longer. Yeah. And actually, great! I'm so glad you just brought up the smoking cessation. Um, that's that's a little bit controversial, I think, in our in our community of whether that research how how valid it is. How do you feel about that research today? Well, the the only research that I'm aware of that that had some validity to it was uh, Pete Sudfeld's uh -huh. 24 hour and 12 hour chamber rest. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Amy when Amy's we brought that up. when we <laughs> did our float tank one study, it was Jeff Bruno and and I, and we did not get much change. That's interesting. But we had a very small end, so. Sure. Uh, um, so a couple questions before we wrap up. One is, I am curious, what uh, what stopped the research um, back in the 80s? Uh, was, it, was it funding? Was it lack of... Uh, please. Mostly funding. Uh, you know, at that, when we stopped, the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine, I think they've changed the name of that now, NCAM, um, had not even been established. So we were going through very traditional 
we had tried to get a, a grant through the National Institutes of Health on blood pressure. And we actually got to the point where they accepted the study, but we, when, you, when, you get a, when you get your study accepted, then you get a number. And that number is going to determine, if the number's not high enough, you're, you have an accepted study, but you're not going to get funded. Is and that a can, financial number or a, like a No, no, it's, it's, a, it's just a ranking number. Got it. So we did get a study accepted, but we never were able to get a high enough rank to get funded. Yeah. So that was just, you know, we sort of ran out of gas. Hmm. Try, but we were able to do a lot of studies on small amounts of money. Some we got from the medical school, some we got privately. And I, and I do think crowdfunding today gives maybe some researchers opportunities to get going if they want to because they could probably get crowdfunded enough to do a decent study. Cool. And by the way, I know that, that one of your advertisers, <laughs> Floataway, uh-huh. has in the works, or maybe even developed now, an inflatable system that was sort of designed to be used if someone wanted to do a research project. Well, I certainly can't speak of anything that, uh, I, I can't say anything about that. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, Tom, but that's very interesting. <laughs> that's a fascinating concept. <laughs> um, let's hear. The, I, and I want to leave room for any other questions Amy wants to ask. Um, actually, please, Amy. Uh, you know, I, I'm just really, I have so many questions. Uh, and I'm going to ask one that's probably pretty basic and, and not as exciting, but I, I think it's important is um, there is so much that really needs to be researched when it comes to floating. I mean, there's a long way to go till we can actually say for sure a lot of things that we that we think anecdotally is, is happening. What do you think is the next thing that we need to, or that someone should be pursuing? Is there a, a certain topic that has promise that would be uh, that would be a good place to start? Do you have any recommendations or input on that? Well, I, right now where Justin's going, I think is a good place to go because he's aiming at trying to work with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And we've already got some basic solid evidence from a study done in Sweden that mm -hmm. there are effects. So it's building on that sort of, the way science works is build and replicate, build and replicate more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think pain is definitely an area we need studied in a more systematic way. So I think that's maybe another area. I think PTSD is probably a good area too to work with because what we know about the, the treatments that work with trauma is they kind of combine uh, the ability of a person ultimately to lower their arousal but also tolerate higher arousal through exposure to traumatic events. Sure, sure. And the tank sort of provides us with a mechanism that that can work very well with. You can learn to be safe in a lower arousal experience in the tank, but you could also be exposed or expose yourself through imagery to the traumatic experience and actually probably have a 
fairly powerful sense of it while you're floating that then you can cope with it, you know, through the float itself. Interesting. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think those three areas are good and, you know, also see if it, if it can get pro football players to throw longer passes. You know, yeah, right. You know, then, then, then we all make more important. money, right? <laughs> then, yeah, running will not be an issue, for sure. As long as they don't have to exactly. deflate the footballs to do oh. it. Ooh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, I know wow. what you stand. Okay. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Amy, did, did you want to ask anything else? Uh, you know, the last thing I, I'd like to know is you are. You mentioned that you're looking to get a float tank in where you're at. Are you thinking about doing some studies, or would you be using it just to work with the, your clients and yeah. and do some education? What's, what's definitely your if we're future? able to get if we're able to get a, a small center established in the in the hospital area, I, I would definitely want to do studies again. Cool, awesome, Amy. Thanks for asking that. This is that's very exciting. Cool. Uh, Tom, I want to ask about the research that you did in the past, and I want to know, um, I don't know, maybe the top three things that you learned uh, that, that you feel aren't, aren't anecdotal, but that are, that, that are truths about floating, if you can make that claim, and um, things that we can talk about as float centers to say that are true based off the research that you've, you've done. Well, remember, the thing about science oh, is Oh, no, it, I don't want to... <laughs> is it's Go very ahead. specific. Uh-huh. Okay, so when we saw cortisol uh, levels lowered, we saw yeah. them in basically young, healthy humans who didn't seem to have any problems that could be disrupting their regulation of cortisol. Mm -hmm. And when we saw, we did see in small studies over the long term, people who had elevated blood pressure without any strong physical causes of that elevation. So it's called essential hypertension, which is the nor mo most type of hypertension that most people have. Okay. We did see over long-term floating a reduction in blood pressure that was significant, okay? Bringing them back into, quote, the normal range. Okay. But... That doesn't make it easy to say to somebody coming into a float center, oh, you can lower your blood pressure because you don't know enough about that person, mm. right? And sure. that's it. Um, the other thing I would say is that we definitely saw um, reduction in pain. So in, even though, again, our studies were not systematic they were clinical, um, the pain that, and we saw in various different types of chronic pain, that people, uh, probably 80% of people, right around that range, would report either a diminishing of pain that was extremely significant, like maybe going from a rating of eight or nine on a 10-point scale down to a two or a three, or even some people experiencing, while they were floating, a complete loss of the sensation of pain. Wow. So, so it works pretty well with pain. That, that would be the number one 
takeaway that you got? From from point of view of somebody coming in, if they were coming in sure, for p- sure. pain reasons, most pain. Though I did, I, I mean, I did have people who just had no effect on their pain. I had a guy with arthritis who hmm. he had it cured his claustrophobia, but it didn't help his pain. <laughs> wow, interesting. And what about psychologically? Is there a takeaway that you got from float tanks that you feel has has a solid base through your research? Well, I, I wouldn't say through our research, but I, I do think through the research of other people, it's it's really good for anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, that that people who either have what we call generalized anxiety disorder or are maybe not that, but they're pretty high-strung and anxious uh-huh. a fair amount of the time, but it's not totally disruptive to them, mm-hmm. um, that... If they float frequently, and and here's what I would say is the strongest thing. Frequent floating is key to getting that effect. Interesting. All right. Okay. So when I say frequent floating, I'm talking about every other day or every third day for at least several weeks. So if you can get 12 sessions in where you're doing it very frequently, I think it makes a big difference. The frequent floating gives you repeated exposure to the environment. Mm-hmm. It gets you beyond first. The first thing is the novelty experience. Sure, sure. Then, you know, two or three sessions, two, three, or four, you're sort of letting yourself, you know, really, really let go. And you probably, by session four, sort of hit, you know, okay, this is me when I'm really relaxed. Homeostasis, if you And will. then just doing that several times yeah. it also sort of lets you work through some other stuff and lets you overlearn the experience hmm. then i would say another thing is that adding something they can do outside the tank so whether it be an autogenic training relaxation a breathing a mindfulness breathing sort of thing those things will you know, help generalize that experience and keep the experience oh, going. Got it. Great. Beautiful. And we've pretty much seen that with other, uh, other types of psychotherapy, too. Same sort of thing, being able okay. to. Tom, thank you so much. Sure. This has been absolutely a treat. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for uh, bringing so much information and the stories as well and, uh, and, and your uh, friendliness and kindness as well. It's, it's uh, so appreciated and recognized. So... Thank you for joining us on Art of the Float. To our listeners, remember, there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing, so spend some time there. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you. Yeah, thank you so that much. was fantastic. 